I would like to begin the talk tonight um, continuing where Devin ended or talked about last night. She was talking about the Satipatthana Sutta and the refrain of the Satipatthana Sutta. And the refrain is one of my favorite parts of the Satipatthana, and the whole Satipatthana Sutta is a beautiful teaching, and it's a teaching that we are giving here in the instructions day by day. It's the teachings, it's the outline that the Buddha offered us for how to be mindful, basically sati, sometimes translated as mindfulness, sometimes awareness. But it's it's the um, sati patana for foundations of uh, awareness or mindfulness, and we've been going through them. The body we've been landing here, getting here, feeling, sensing, being aware of the aliveness of the body, and then the second foundation, the vedna, the feeling tone or the hedonic quality of experience. And then we've also started to open up to the affective heart-mind component, the chitta of experience, and we'll continue to open it up to the fourth foundation, the dharmas, the phenomena of reality. And the Satipatthana, refrain is just so beautiful because it's, I believe Devin said it, it's there 13 times or something in the Satipatthana Sutta because it's in all four of the foundations, right? And so it begins, which she read, but I'm going to repeat. In this way, in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body internally or one abides contemplating the body externally, or one abides contemplating the body both internally and externally, right? And so, but, and those four contemplations are both about body and about Vedana and about Chitta, heart-mind, and about Dharma's phenomena. And they all basically have the same language except they substitute the word body for vedana, for chitta, for heart-mind, excuse me, for phenomena. And it continues, or one abides contemplating the nature of the rising of the body, or one abides contemplating the nature of passing away of the body, the impermanent nature of the body is contemplated right here, moment by moment. The liveness, the sensations, they don't stay the same. They arise and then they change or they fade or they disappear. And so the impermanence is woven in there. And and or one or mindful that there is a body. Like it gets very simple at a certain point. So you can be aware of, you know, the the um, internal, the external, the arising, the passing. Or all you have to do is be aware of there is a body. Simple. 
Everybody got that part? There is a body, right? And, and right now, all you have to do is feel your body while I'm speaking, and you're being mindful of the body. And again, as we've said, it's so simple that it confounds our usual logic because it's so simple. And so, or mindfulness that there is a body is established in one to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness, 24-7 mindfulness. And for the next day, all you have to do for continuous 24-7 mindfulness is be aware that there is a body. There's a body when you're sitting, when you're listening, when you're speaking, if you happen to speak, when you're eating, when you're going to the bathroom, when you're defecating, when you're urinating, when you're walking mindfully, when you're, um, um, when you're just standing, when you're lying down, there is a body. And just the experiential knowing of it, which is not an intellectual knowing, it's a felt sense knowing, that's where the juice is in the Satipatthana. And then it continues here, and this is the punchline in my unpali language, um, right? Or mindfulness that there is a body is established in one to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness, and one abides independent not clinging to anything in the world. Okay? I'm going to say that again. It's a very important sentence here. And one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. This is how, in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body. Or, or um, this is how, in regard to the Vedna, one abides contemplating the Vedna. Or, one, or in regard to the heart-mind, how one abides contemplating the heart-mind, or the dharmas, how one abides contemplating the dharmas or phenomena. One abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. And it's so beautiful what's said here. It's so profound. Really, I could stop the talk here because that's, that's it. One abides independent, if I use my language, relaxed, open, at ease, not clinging to anything in the world, simply letting ourselves be. And because the talks are going to go longer, uh, what does it mean to abide independent and not cling? What does that mean? And of course, you please reflect on your own experience about what's your experience of being independent and not clinging? And what does it mean not to cling? And the simplest language we use for that, which you all know, is to let go. Or in my favorite language, to relax. 
to let go, to come more fully into the lived moment as it is, not holding on, not clinging to how it should be or how it's supposed to be or even how we want it to be or how we don't want it to be without even having to get rid of those because we're going to want. We're going to say, no, it should be this way and it should be that, but we don't have to cling to any of that when we're aware of it. The awareness is the doorway to freedom. As our beloved teacher, Ajahn Chah, said, he said, even if your house is flooded, even if your house is flooded or burned to the ground, whatever the danger that threatens it, let it concern only the house. If there's a flood, don't let it flood your mind. If there's a fire, don't let it burn your heart. Let it be merely the house that is eternal to you, that is flooded and burned. Allow the mind to go Allow the mind to let go of its attachments. And then he ends it by saying, the time is ripe. And it's true, the time is ripe. You've all been here for a while, and good things are happening, whether you know them or not. But it is time, the type, time is ripe to really get here fully to give yourself fully to the retreat and see what happens as things start to let go on their own. And of course, letting go is sometimes put maybe even more accurately as just let things be. You don't even have to, letting go is more like you're doing this, you don't even have to do this part. It's just this. Just let it be, whatever is here, and be aware of it. And see what happens as you relax with it or around it, meaning open to it. The Buddha said, you can only lose what you cling to. So clinging is sometimes called holding on, or in the dictionary it says grab, or attach, or identify, or reify. And of course, you can all reflect on what do you cling to, because probably you cling to something. I don't know that anybody is totally in fully and completely awakened yet. But you might really think about, oh, what do you cling to? What do you hold on to? What do you grasp on to? What do you identify with? What do you solidify in your reality? And of course, when I think about this, I think about what do I cling to? I cling to thoughts or I cling to feelings or I cling to what I see, or what I've heard, or my senses, 
or different sensations I get attached to. I like the Vedana of pleasant cessations, and I don't like the Vedana of unpleasant sensations. And of course, grasping or pushing away are both forms of clinging. It's important to make sure you know that. All right, but I also cling to memories. Oh, like remember, I was actually, it's, now I'm, this is coming as I'm speaking, but I was, uh, I was remembering something, somebody I have a little clinging towards. Uh, actually, it's, um, I'm going to Detroit because a friend of mine, I grew up in Detroit, a friend of mine's having a big gallery show of his photography. He's been doing photography for 50 years or more, and uh, and he's good, and he invited me, and he wanted to, me to do something. Now I said, okay, I'll come. And and then I, so I was looking for a place to stay, and I called my old high school girlfriend to, to see, and she was very sweet, really. I was surprised and uh, very helpful, and she wanted to go when she heard about it. And, she, and then, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, uh, and then I've contacted her a couple times since then, and she hasn't responded at all. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm watching my reaction to her. <laughs> And I'm thinking, she hasn't changed in 50 years. <laughs> and who knows what's going on for her? I don't. But I could be right. <laughs> Anyhow, but I watched the clinging, too. I was looking forward to seeing her. But, you know, it's like there's a number of people I've already made arrangements to see. And I was trying to make arrangements to see her take a walk or have tea or something. And not going to happen. So I would, you know, I felt the clinging to it, right? And so clinging to memories, past, somebody, old friend, yeah. And um, so there's what we cling to, and then it's a little more subtle, or maybe not. But there's what clings to us. What clings to us. And what I mean by that is, oh, there are things we don't want, and they cling to us. Thoughts, feelings, all kinds of things. We, we would like, oh, yeah, if we, could, if we could get rid of it, we would just get rid of it. But it keeps clinging to us. And I like to think of it both ways. What do we cling to? What clings to us? Because um, it's not just mechanical clinging. It's psychic clinging. That's the hardest. And some of that psychic clinging, clinging to the past or, or to some idea of how we should be, it won't let go. And so we want to be aware of that because it's a way that we suffer with that kind of clinging. Mm. The Buddha said, whatever is not yours, let go of it. He was talking about clinging. Whatever is not yours, let go of it. Your letting go of it will be for your long-time happiness, long-term happiness and benefit. Key teaching. This is the teaching of freedom. 
Whatever is not yours, let go of it. Your letting go of it will be for your long-term happiness and well-being and benefit. And it's really true. And it's, it's what the Buddha and what the Dharma offers us is freedom and happiness. And you all, we all, not you, we, all of us, have a right to be happy and to want to be happy. That's not a bad thing to want to be happy. Mm. And so you might think, as the Buddha said, whatever is not yours, let go of it. Well, what is yours? Right? What is yours? It's a good reflection, even for a minute. What is yours? And of course, Eugene thinks a lot of things are his. Right? I'm just subbing for you right now. So, um, you know, I think the thoughts are mine. I think the feelings are mine. I think this body is mine. You know, and I think a lot of other things are mine that are less personal even, like the warriors and my warriors. Or, <laughs> you know, I mean, believe me, they're not, you know, even though I love them. And... And um, the thoughts, you know, they're here, but are they mine? And the feelings, are they mine? They're here. And even the body, the body's clearer than thoughts or feelings. The body's not mine. It's just doing its own thing and has been for a long time now. And even when I wanted it to do other things, it keeps doing its own thing. It's just true. And you don't want to hear the details of that <laughs> at this stage of my life, <laughs> really. And, it's, and, you know, God bless it. I'm glad it's here, really, because, you know, I have a little near-death experience, and it could have died, but it didn't, you know? Here's one consideration for you, that nothing is really ours. Nothing is really ours. If it's all impermanent, is it ours? If I can't control my thoughts, then are they mine? If I can't stop them? If I can't make them do what I want, are they mine? Or feelings. If I can't have the feelings that I want, are they my feelings? Or if I can't stop the feelings I don't want, are they mine? Or are they just feelings? Are they just thoughts? And they're not mine. Clearly, I'm aware of them. But are they mine? So that ownership starts to relax when we see a little more objectively about what's here. And please, I was asked to remind people that if you forget to keep your mask on, to please put your mask on. Thank you. And to see what happens 
if you don't cling or hold on to your thoughts or your feelings or even your body. And I don't mean don't take care of it, but don't cling to it. Don't grasp to it. It's possible to come into alignment with reality that is totally impermanent and unfolding moment by moment by moment, alive. Even the person who came in as you or Eugene, making myself an example here, however many days ago, of course I'm caught lost in the retreat, so I don't count the days, but, but however many days, it's a different person that's here today. It's not the same person. Cells are different, feelings are different, thoughts are different, ideas are different, experience is different. We can't hold on to anything. And of course, I've, I've talked about this more than once in my role as a Buddhist teacher. And, you know, you can, I'm always happy if you could prove me wrong. Really, because I'm wrong sometimes, no doubt about it. But so far, nobody's been able to, to uh, convince me that they can hold on to anything. Mm. And there's some freedom in relaxing the grip, relaxing the clinging, relaxing the pushing away, relaxing they trying to control reality. But to really be here with it, even good things, not trying to keep them, enjoying them. This is from William Blake who said, one who binds themselves to a joy does the winged life destroy. One who binds clings, one who binds themselves to a joy does the winged life destroy. But one who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful dharma. Beautiful understanding of the truth of how reality works. And of course, Ajahn Chah was not quite as poetic, but very direct. He said, if you let go a little, you will have a little happiness. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of happiness. If you let go completely, you will be free. So when we let go, when we open, when we relax, what's revealed? What does reality reveal? What's under the veil of clinging, of grasping, of holding on? 
what's here is more the essence of who and what we are and really the essence of our heart mind of the chitta that's here our mind and what's sometimes called the nature of mind and I want to just talk a little about mind as we move into the chitta phase of the teachings. And it's really about, um, I want to say a little bit about what's called small mind and big mind. And of course, the, the conventional mind, how we think about it, is, has to do with mental processes conventionally. Right, ego functioning. And so it's good to have a good functioning ego, right? And a good mind that knows how to be logical or rational or analytic or intelligent, right? And creative and things like that, all really good. This is mind as a faculty of intellect. And thinking, as we've been talking about now, being mindful of thought is part of that, right? And so you can watch the thoughts, and it's great. I really encourage everybody to spend at least one whole sitting where the all you're doing is being mindful of thought. And, and we'll just see what happens. Because we're so... Not everybody, but many of us are very just enchanted by our thoughts. They're mesmerizing. We think they're so real. And they are on a very shallow level of reality. You know, they're just thoughts. They're just words on one level. Right? Sometimes for some of us they're images, but they're just coming from nowhere. And mostly don't have anything to do with anything that's actually going on, except we think they do. So the thinking and thinking mind, you can be aware of it as thought, or you can be aware of it as memory often, or planning, futurizing, what's going to happen, what I'm going to do, who I'm going to tell about the retreat and how great it was that I stopped thinking for the whole time I was here. <laughs> you know, the mind will. The mind has. Um, what's the word I want? It's got no. Um, <laughs> it's got. It's got no pride. <laughs> It'll just say anything. And, you know, and you can be aware of the planning mind or the remembering mind or the commentating mind, right? That's commentating about how you're doing and what's happening, how it's going to be in the, this sitting and the next sitting and how it was the last sitting, but now it's really better. And, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's just what minds do. It's not personal. That's the important part. And... It covers a wide range thinking because it rambles a lot. And we, I think we've said the word in the room. Have we said papancha? Did we say? We didn't say papancha. I've got a great word for you, and you could think about this all the time. <laughs> papancha is a Pali word, and it really means prol proliferation of mind. It's just the mind talking to itself and going ch 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 
And it's just wild because it'll say anything. And, and, and my, at least my mind will and has. And all of this in, in Zen is called small mind, conventional mind and small mind. And people talk about it, they laugh about it. Annie Lamott, who's a Buddhist practitioner, she said, my mind is like a bad neighborhood. I try not to go there alone. <laughs> and Fritz Perls, who was a Western gestalt therapist, psychologist, he said, lose your mind and come to your senses. And that's what we're doing here. We're letting our small mind relax, calm down, quiet down a little, and come into the felt sense of each moment, the aliveness that's here in our seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, uh, uh, feeling, thinking. It's all alive coming into the felt sense of it. And you can even, the meditation can get so refined, you can feel the felt sense of emotions arising and passing, or even, it's a little more subtle, but the felt sense of thoughts arising and passing. Because they're just sensations on a certain level of consciousness. And of course, mindfulness. It's interesting that that's the word. I don't have this in the talk, but I know it's. I know the story of where the word mindfulness came from. Actually, it came from a 1860s a man who'd been done some practice in Asia and was looking for a word in English to describe what he learned. And he found in the, in the Christian Bible, he found the word mindfulness. And he used that because that was, that was the holiest way he could talk about it, what he had learned in meditation. And that stuck. And so that's where we got the word mindfulness. And and that's why when you understand satipatthana, it's probably more accurate to just say awareness. We're doing the four foundations of awareness. <clears throat> and so when we look at the satipatthana, this third domain, right? The first body and then Vedana and now heart-mind, Right, the third foundation. It's about both. It's about the atmosphere of mind, right? The moods or the feelings or the mental states or the quality of mind, right? And you can you can be aware. Sometimes your mind is open, or your mind is tight, or your mind is relaxed, or your mind is tense, tight. Or your mind may be open or closed. And you can start to feel that, know that quite directly. Or you could mind might be very uh, concentrated or unconcentrated. Or it might be mindful or it might not be mindful. Or it might feel liberated or unliberated. How many people remember the song, I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in? 
Let me just get a... Yeah, okay, that's pretty good. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but, but we were talking about it. It's a, it's a funny song about... It says, I just dropped... Oh, I woke, up in, I woke up this morning with the sundown shining in. I found my mind in a brown paper bag within... I tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. And it goes on. It's from the 60s. So it's, so it's, it's a nostalgic song for some of us. But, but it was all about mind and what is it and what is... Uh, small mind and what is big mind hmm. uh, this is attributed to Albert Einstein said the intuitive mind is a wonderful gift the rational mind is a faithful servant it's odd in the west how we have come to honor the servant and ignore the gift and part of what we're learning here is to open to our heart-mind and the intuitive feeling sense of intelligence that is sitting in each seat and that has the capacity to be aware and to understand and to awaken. And part of what we awaken to is sometimes called big mind. Big mind is the equivalent of true nature, sometimes so-called Buddha nature. And the Buddha talked, said this. He said, luminous, luminous, light-like, and radiant. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, but it is colored by the attachments that visit it. This unlearned people do not really understand and so do not cultivate this mind. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, and it is free of the attachments that visit it. This the noble follower of the way truly understands. So for them, there is cultivation of this mind. And so he's, here's a gift from the Buddha and he's, He's giving you a gift you already have, which is this mind that is right here that includes both big mind and small mind. It's all right here. This is the whole show, big mind, small mind. Luminous is this mind, this consciousness that's listening, that's having some idea of what I'm saying and some idea of what you're thinking about what I'm saying, and what you're feeling about what I'm saying. It's already right here, this luminosity. Whether you see it or not, sometimes people actually can see it, sometimes people feel it, but it's already here. The, the radiance of consciousness, uh, in, uh, embodied consciousness is right here. Mm. And so the paradox of working with attachments and grasping and clinging and identification, right, 
it, there's a certain kind of enigma in working with it of how do we how do we be aware of what we cling to and uh, don't cling to it? Or how do we be aware of our identification with this and that and the other thing and disidentify? And there's a, a, a subtle art to letting it all be here and relaxing with it at the same time because we're not pushing it away. We're not trying to throw it away. We're not trying to get rid of it. And, you know, I often think, tell me something, and it's just in your mind. Think about something you hold on to, that you cling to. What is it? You know, and just have one thing. I'm sure you can find one thing you, you cling to. <laughs> I mean, and it can even be silly, but it doesn't matter. You can cling to silly things or important things or whatever it is. And then the question, the inquiry is, um, if you hold on to it, hold on to it tight. Hold on to it tighter. Like hold on to it even tighter. Can you do that? What's holding on to what you're holding on to? I'll say that again. What is holding on to what you believe you're holding on to? What's holding on to your thoughts? Or what's holding on to your feelings? Or what's holding on to, maybe there's some person you're holding on to who's not even here. What's holding on itself? Is it your small mind that's holding on? Is it your heart? that's holding on? Is it some other part of you that's holding on? Or is it an idea that you're holding on? Is it some combination of affective, cognitive, energetic holding? that is in the psyche, but you're not even doing it because you can't stop do it, stop doing it, and you can't do it more. It's just doing itself, holding on. Look experientially because that's where the answers are. This is again from the Buddha and the Majjhima Nikaya, which is really a beautiful book. The Buddha said, how do you construe this? How do you understand this, practitioners? If a person were to gather up, uh, gather or burn or do as they wish with the gray, grass, twigs, branches, and leaves here in Jetta's Grove, would the thought occur to you, right? If somebody were to gather up or, uh, or burn 
um, the grass, twigs, branches, or leaves here in Jetta's Grove, would the thought occur to you, it's us that this person is gathering, burning, or doing with as they like? And then the Buddha answers his question and says, no, why not? Because those things are not ourself and do not pertain to ourself. Even so, practitioners, whatever is not yours, let go of it. Your letting go of it will be for your long-term happiness and benefit. And what is not yours? Form is not yours. Form means body is not yours. Feeling is not yours. Vedana, perception is not yours. Mental processes are not yours. Consciousness is not yours. Let go of it. You're letting go of it. You're relaxing with it will be for your long-term happiness and benefit. It's all happening on its own at a certain level. And it's wild that way. And it's so easy to identify with or think it's mine or I am this, when in fact it's just doing itself. Even consciousness, I mean, where the hell is consciousness? Could anybody put it in their pocket? Really? It's just... So I often play with this kind of teaching, right? I have a body, but I'm not the body, and feelings, but not feelings. But also, I have a role, right? I mean, I'm a Dharma teacher. I love being a Dharma teacher, but I'm not a Dharma teacher. But I am a Dharma teacher, but I'm not. (laughs) Both are true, and it's a paradox. Right? On one level, of course, and I have other things here, different roles, you know, teacher, father, husband, right? But I'm not the role. But I live the role totally and totally devoted. You know, I love being a, you know, husband, a father, a teacher. I have a job, but I'm not the job. When my daughter was young, and uh, wanted to know more about Buddhism at some point. We, uh, I said, she said, well, what is, oh, what do you do? What happens with all this stuff? She was, I can't remember how, she must have been six, seven, maybe, maybe eight, but I don't think by eight she was like, who cares about that stuff? <laughs> but, but something, you know, six or so, she wanted to know about Buddhism, and maybe she asked me about, you know, uh, not being attached or something or being free. And and I said, oh, we could play with it. And we did this little game. And I said, okay, sit down, look at me, and I'm going to look at you. And I want you to see I'm not your dad. And I'll see you're not my daughter. And we did it for like 20 seconds. And then I was like, okay, that's enough, she said. <laughs> And then we talked about it. She loved when I didn't see her as my my daughter. She loved that. That was like free. But it got a little weird about the dad part because <laughs> she still wanted me to be her dad. 
But she didn't want me to reify her, to concretize her in this role as Eugene's daughter. And children, of course, don't want you to. They want your love and support and all the good things we can do and, and for children. But they, if you try to hold them to that role, you're my daughter, you should do that. Trust me, that does not work. And they don't like that. And so the mystery of who and what we are was a little what, what I was playing with with, with my daughter, right? Because the small sense of self wants to concretize things, fixate things, to defend against the unknown. Because even my daughter, who is a total grown adult and great and uh and you know sometimes not great but great um uh it's beautiful to watch what it's like to be a father and not know how to be a father because i think we said this in the room not knowing leads to true knowing and so at each phase phase of her development she's a different person and I'm a different father because that person needs a different father. She doesn't need the father when she was, you know, one year old or three years old or five or 10 or 12 or even 17 or 18 or even, you know, I remember taking her to college. She went to college in Minnesota and dropping her off and leaving. And I was just one of the hardest things I ever did. Really, I could cry right now just remembering. It was like, and also happy, you know, it's like great for her and the right thing for her. But it doesn't mean I was happy in the moment because, you know, she was gone and that was a big deal. And, you know, but, but she didn't need the father who needed who she needed to take care of her by her being there all the time at that point and it's continued and now she's she's a total adult she needs me about once a year <laughs> no it's true it's true about once a year she'll say dad i need something and she'll she'll call her we'll talk and and she'll say i i want some advice and she's you know she's very grown up about it but and it's like, and I get it. Oh, she needs me to be dad a little bit because really the advice, she knows everything that I know almost, not quite. But, <laughs> but, but it's, it's just sometimes there's that need for that dynamic and it's fun to be her father. But it's also so fun to be with her and not be her father because she's, she's cool. She's okay. Anyhow. Oh, so the last part. Remember I said to study the Buddha way is to study the self, to study the self, forget self, forget self, to awaken with all things. So letting go of the small sense of self, the ego identity. Letting go of the conventional sense of self is letting go of our ideas about reality and coming into the felt sense of this moment, our direct experience of life here, now, in this retreat, which is impermanent and transient and ephemeral and empty. 
right? How many days, whatever number of days, we've had four or five days here. Where are they now? Anybody know where they went? They're not here. They're gone. Empty. It's one of the ways you can understand emptiness is there's nothing permanent. Even all these experiences that you liked or didn't like or wanted or didn't want, wherever they are, they're gone. And new ones will come. And it's important to be here for it because it's the life of the moment that begins to awaken us. It's that simple. It's this moment. And that's where the luminosity of heart and mind starts to shine, as the Buddha said, shines brightly when it's free of the attachments that visit it. This the noble follower of the way truly understands. And so we cultivate a kind of simple presence of being here and being aware and being open and letting the not knowing reveal the not what's known and then to relax and see what we discover about the Dharma or see what the Dharma gives to us. One of my teachers, Japanese monk from the 16th or 17th century, Ryokan, he's, he wrote, the Buddha is your mind. The Buddha is your mind. And the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. The Buddha is your mind. And the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. And Ryokan, he's so practical. He says, if you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you arrive? I'm going to end with at least one quote. <laughs> uh, I'll say a little more from Suzuki Roshi because I've been talking about big mind and small mind, which is really a Zen way of speaking. And Suzuki Roshi said this, uh, that everything is included within your mind is the essence of mind. That everything is included in your mind is the essence of mind. To experience this is to have a religious feeling. Even though waves arise, the essence of your mind is pure. It is just like clear water with a few waves. And you've all had some waves, and you'll have some more. But here, listen what he says, right? It's just like clear water with a few waves. Actually, water always has waves. Waves are the practice of the water. To speak of waves apart from water, or water apart from waves is delusion. Water and waves are one. Water and waves are one. Big mind and small mind are one. When you understand your mind in this way, you have some security 
you have some security in your feeling. As your mind does not expect anything from outside, it is always filled. A mind with waves in it is not a disturbed mind, but actually an amplified mind. Whenever you, whatever you experience is an expression of big mind. The activity of big mind is to amplify itself through various experiences. In one sense, our experiences coming one, are coming one by one are always fresh and new. But in another sense, they are nothing but a continuous or repeating unfoldment of the one big mind. Let's sit for a minute, please. Thank you for your kind attention, and we'll move our clock back five minutes for everything. We'll see you in 15 minutes, is that right? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.